Area 10 Faith Community meets in the historic Bird Theater in Carytown in Richmond, Virginia. As of August 2nd, we have resumed in-person worship services on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. We are committed to the health and safety of our families and will continue to offer our simultaneous live stream at youtube.com slash area 10 faith community. We hope you'll join us at the Bird Theater again soon, but in the meantime, we're providing the best possible online experience we can for you. Now, on to this week's message. So about 10 years ago, I decided to run the Tough Mudder. So we've never done that? No? Yeah, it's a thing. Um, so it was the, like kind of the, one of the original like, uh, like challenge races, like the Spartan race or the Tough Mudder or whatever. And it, it was a 10-mile a run. The one I did was a 10-mile run um, up and down the ski slopes at Wintergreen, so, um, which is not bad going down. It's the up part that's not as fun. And during the race, uh, we, we had to run, um, there's about 20 obstacles that you, you run. So you'd run and then you'd like go through these obstacles and like uh, challenging stuff. One of them was we had to jump into a dumpster full of ice water and then swim across it. That will take your breath away. That really, you really know you're alive when you do that. Um, another one we had to run through fire. They didn't do that after the dumpster, which would have been nice, because then it would be cold and then warm, but it didn't work out that way. Uh, we had to run through fire, run dumpster of ice, and then um, we also, at one point, uh, had to run through live electrical wires, and you would get shocked, and you'd see people fall over and stuff. Um, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I, I, did it, I did it twice. I actually ran it again years later, and I always tell people, they're like, oh, you know, did you just love it, and did it twice? I was like, no, I, I actually should have just done it once. <laughs> uh, it was one too many times I think I did it, but um, the, the, the thing is, some of you, some of you uh, you're, you're probably thinking like, that really sounds terrible to run something like, like why would you willingly put yourself through the ice and the fire and the electrocution and all that? Uh, and that's a good question. It's one I asked myself while I was running it. Why am I doing this? Um, others of you, though, might hear about that and, and look at that challenge and go like, oh man, that sounds awesome. Like, I want to try it. And I think for me, the, the reason I did it was because I wanted to, like, try it. I wanted to find out, can you handle this? Like, what are you made of? Because if I don't try it, how will I ever know what I'm made of, right? There's an ancient quote from one of the Stoic philosophers, Seneca, and he said this, I judge you unfortunate because you have never lived through misfortune. You have passed through life without an opponent, no one can even, no one can ever know what you're capable of, not even you. I think there's something to that. You have to, you have to find the edges if you're, of yourself if you're going to ever know what you're, what you're capable of. You have to have an opponent. You have to go through pain so that you can know what your limits are. You have to go through a struggle so you can know where your personal edges are really are. And, and unless you go through those things, unless you challenge yourself and reach your limits, you, you won't know what you're made of and you may not ever become all that you could be. I, I bring this up because we're in this series called Life, Liberty, and Limitations and we're talking about uh, today in particular, I want, I want to talk about the idea of limitations and, and, and what they do for us. And we've been reading through the book of 1 Corinthians as a church through most of this year. It's a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in about the year 54 AD. And he writes this letter to them 
And in this section that we're in, chapters 8 through 10, um, he, he, he makes a point kind of over and over about rights that he has, about laying down those rights, about um, what responsibilities he has. And even today, uh, I want to talk a little bit about some limitations that he lives under and what he thinks those uh, can accomplish for him. And, and I think by extension, the principles there are, are what can limitations accomplish for us. Now, the text we're going to read today is not one that people read in the Bible like, regularly, like no one puts this, what we're, the kind of stuff we're going to read today, no one puts this on a coffee cup or nobody's going to, no one's going to put this on Instagram like, oh, this is, look, look at this, this is my life verse or anything like that. This is like one of those sections of the New Testament you're like, yeah, okay, I don't know what that's about. Um, but even in this, I think if we lean in and we look at what God has for us, I think there's really good things in here. And, and I think if we dive into it, we'll, we'll see um, some, some powerful stuff and some great principles that'll come out of this. So at the end of chapter 8, which we talked about last week, Paul was talking about food and people's conscience around food. And he ends by saying, um, if eating meat would cause my brother to stumble, then I won't eat meat. So he's voluntarily saying, I'm not going to do this. And, and we kind of looked at an idea last week of laying down your preferences for the good of the other and kind of reading the room and seeing who's there and, and adjusting accordingly. This takes us to chapter 9. I, uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through a chunk of it fairly quickly, and then we'll come back and, and pull out a, a few principles uh, that I think are, are, are universal uh, out of this. Um, 1 Corinthians 9. Uh, We'll start with verse 1. We'll put it up on the screen. Paul says, am I not free? It's a good 4th of July text, right? Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are not you my workmanship in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Paul wants his audience to know as he's writing this letter, like, hey, he, he has rights. He's a free man. He, um, he's an apostle. He's a sent out one. He's one of the, the close followers of Jesus. He was like in Jesus' inner circle later on. Like he, he, he's basically saying, hey, guys, I, I'm a big deal, right? And you, uh, and you guys understand that. You know my background. You know what I brought to you. You know where I came from. You know what I was about. Um, I, I have this in, in, my, in my resume, right? Continuing on, verse 3, he says this. This is my defense to those who would examine me. Do we not have the right to eat and drink? Do we not have the right to take along a believing wife, as do the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from working for a living? Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard without eating any of its fruit? Or who tends a flock without getting some of the milk? Um, Paul is giving his defense, which... Which means, and we don't have the letter that was written to him, perhaps, but he may be getting criticized. And, and likely what he's getting criticized about that he's defending here is that, he, uh, is that he's supposed to function in a way, because he's an apostle, he should function in a way different than other people, other religious leaders. And Paul's starting by saying, look, um, I can, don't I have rights to? Like, couldn't I, if I wanted to, get married and, and have a wife in, in, in this in this thing I'm doing? Can I eat and drink? Can I have normal stuff? Um, he even, even talks about, in a sense, they're talking about getting, getting paid for his work. And he says, look, don't soldiers get paid for their work? Like, he gives examples, like, from culture. Soldiers. The, if you own a vineyard, don't you eat some of the fruit? If you're a shepherd, wouldn't you get some of the milk from, from your, your, what the animals that you're tending? Like, 
doesn't everyone who does a job in some way also benefit or from or receive some sort of benefit from from that job? So clearly he's getting criticized, maybe um, about something about a paycheck or something like that associated with his work of, of leading them and leading the church. He even gives a religious example here. Look at uh, continuing on in, in verse 8. He says this. Do I say these things on human authority? Does not the law say the same? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. Is it for oxen that God is concerned? Does he not certainly speak for our sake? It was written for our sake because the plowman should plow in hope and the thresher thresh in hope of sharing in the crop. If we have sown spiritual things among you, is it too much if we, if we reap material things from you? If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? He even points back to an example from the Old Testament and, and Moses, and he says, look, he, basically he's saying, even I have the right to get paid. He's talking about this oxen kind of thing, you don't muzzle the ox and all that. And he's saying, look, that's not really about oxen, okay? It's about people. If you do the work, you should receive some sort of benefit from it. You should be blessed because of it. You have the right to get paid for the work that you do. Continuing on in, uh, continuing on in, in verse 12, let me just pick up all of verse 12 and, and go right through, the, uh, through verse 18. If others share this rightful claim on you, do not we even more? And then he switches. Listen to what he says. Nevertheless, we have not made use of this right, but we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who are employed in the temple service get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share in the sacrificial offerings? In the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. But I have made no use of any of these rights, nor am I writing these things to secure any such provision. For I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of my ground for boasting. For if I preach the gospel, that gives me no ground for boasting, for necessity is laid upon me. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I, if I do this of my own will, I have a reward. But if not of my own will, I am still entrusted with a stewardship. What then is my reward? that in my preaching I may present the gospel free of charge so as to not make full use of my right in the gospel. Okay, there's some cultural things there, um, uh, some, some weird stuff to, to sort through, but twice Paul in that section, he says, I have this right, I could get paid for my work, but I'm not making use of that right. And, 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 he, and he basically says, and I'm not writing you now to like get a paycheck or anything. I'm not trying to secure money from you for the work that I've done um, among you. And, I, and I, on the one hand, I kind of get this. Like money messes with your motivations. If you do something out of the goodness of your heart or for free, then that, that has a certain reward to it, right? But if, if someone pays you for the thing, well, that's different. Now it's like... I'm paid, therefore I have to show up for work. It's, a, it's an obligation. It becomes a necessity. And if you wanted to do it out of the goodness of your heart, now you're not because you're accepting a paycheck. And so there's some of that dynamic about how money messes with our motivations that Paul's referencing here and saying, look, I'm not going to take a paycheck. And, and in fact, it's, it's good that I didn't, even though I could have. Even though I could have because you pay you pay clergy, you pay people who are, are leading in this way, who are leading this kind of organization or the church or the whatever. Like, it's okay that you do that. He just said, I, I haven't. And in, in some ways, it's good that I haven't because it's, it messes with motivations. And it'll mess up 
In, in some ways, it might mess up what you think of me, Paul is saying. Because people are going to, you know, they might, they might be like, oh, he's just in it for the paycheck. And he's like, nope, we'll take even that off the table. I'm not in this for the paycheck. I'm in this because of the gospel. I'm in this because of believing that, that, that the work is good and that people need to know the Lord. Now, when we read this, um, it, it sounds a little bit like, I don't know, kind of inside baseball. You're just kind of like, okay, there's this guy talking to this church, and he's talking about whether he gets paid or not. Um, like, what? So what? Like, I'm not, I don't work for a church, most of you, right? I don't work for a church. Like, who cares? But I think there are some things we can learn here, especially if we, if we pull back and look at maybe the broader principles that are going on in here um, around what you willingly lay down and what limitations you're living under and what you can do with those. So number one, um, and these will be so good on the 4th of July. Uh, these are going to be perfect. Number one, even though we are free, that doesn't mean we shouldn't have limitations. In chapter 8 and 9 in 1 Corinthians in particular, Paul seems to be really making this point over and over to say that I have rights and I lay them down. And, and, and I think Paul would be very on board with the idea that really is something uh, I think we should all em- embrace. Something I would tell my children. Um, just because you can doesn't mean you should. Right? That's like, doesn't that feel like just a good principle of adulthood? Just because you can have the chocolate cake doesn't mean you should earn all of the multiple pieces of chocolate cake. Have the cake, but multiple pieces at some point doesn't mean you should. You are free, yes. You are free to do whatever, but there are limitations. And we should know that. Limitations are baked into our culture as well. We, we teach them in different ways. What did Spider-Man learn from Aunt May, maybe? With great power, comes great responsibility. What is, what is that? What are we saying? You are free to do what you want, and you're powerful. You can do all sorts of things, but there's a limitation. There's an obligation that comes with it. Just because you can doesn't mean you should, and, and if you can, there are things that you're going to have to do with the power that you've been given. Um, we, we, we are familiar, I think, in our culture that even in the land of the free, we have limits, there, there are edges to the way, to, to our lives. Um, there are laws. Uh, I remember going to Laos and Vietnam. Uh, in 2001, I went to Laos the first time, and um, it's actually the first place I ever rode a motorbike. And we learned to ride the motorbike in the capital city of Laos, which is Vientiane, where everybody rides motorbikes. And, and, and then there's occasionally large trucks. So it's like traffic was insane. Just people whizzing in and out. And as far as I could tell, there weren't any discernible traffic laws while we were there. Uh, it was basically right-of-way was determined by whoever got there the fastest and was the biggest. So if your vehicle's big and fast and you got there, you have right-of-way. Like, it was that kind of thing. It was exhilarating and terrifying to do this. So we do this, and, and, I, and I spend a couple days there, and, and you're in a country. Now, now Laos is communist. And, it, and so we're talking like red flag, yellow hammer and sickle. So if, if you grew up like I did in like a child of the Cold War, that junk is scary. Like you see communist flags and you're like, oh, they're, 
they're serious about this over here. Like, they're really into it. That was just like fairy tale stuff in my childhood of like, you know, oh, this scary communism. And then you go there and you're like, they're really into this. And, and, and you think of it as very oppressive and heavy, heavy-handed, all that kind of stuff. So, so you, go to, you, you go there and, you, and there's all these traffic rules. Uh, there's no traffic rules. And I remember coming back to the U.S. and being in the airport on a layover in Chicago. And I remember getting on the escalator, and I looked over, and there was about five rules on how you ride the escalator. It was like, you know, hold children by the hand and watch for this and whatever. And I looked at that having just come out of Laos and the traffic and all that, and I thought, one of these countries is communist and has a lot of rules. And then the other one is like, I guess, the land of the free or something. I was like, this is so weird to me. Like, in another country, they might just say, here's an escalator, figure it out. And in our country, it's like, here's five rules to ride the escalator. Like, what is going on in the land of the free? Well, it, freedom comes with, uh, probably in that case, litigation is what freedom comes with. Um, but for, and some idiot did, for every rule, some idiot tried it the first time. You're like, who would even do that? You know, and it's like somebody did. We had to put a rule up about it. So there's no lawsuits. But freedom comes with not just litigation, I suppose, but freedom comes with limitations. We understand that, that you have to have rules around, that you have to put out some edges. So number one, even though we are free, it doesn't mean we shouldn't have limitations, and that's true with our faith also. Number two, followers of Jesus are going to have more limitations than people who aren't. And this is the, this is the hard sell I'm going to give you about Jesus, okay? If you're going to follow Jesus, you will have more limitations on you than your neighbor who doesn't. It's, it's, it's true. Um, and, and that's maybe not fun to hear, um, but it's real. Paul could have said, I'm a big deal. I'm, I'm an apostle. You, you all should, I always picture like Will Ferrell in the old Saturday Night Live skit of being like, people fear me. I'm a division manager. I drive a Dodge Stratus. You know, like Paul could have been like that. If, look it up if you don't. It's great. Um, Paul could have said, hey, I'm a big deal. And instead, he willingly takes on this limitation. And the limitation he's taking on is I'm not going to get paid for the work that I'm doing. And so when I'm working among you, I'm going to have to work twice as hard because I've got to go make a paycheck and do the work that I'm doing amongst you. And he willingly says, I will take that limitation when other people don't. Um, And I think if you're a follower of Jesus, you just take on limitations that other people don't have. There are some restrictions around us and, and the way we live and, and guidelines and edges to behavior. You can probably think of some. I could probably make a list for you. Think about um, alcohol. So alcohol is spoken of honestly in Scripture as occasionally a problem that gets people in a lot of trouble and makes bad decisions. And then it's also spoken of differently than that. Like, no, it's, it's okay and all that. And so you, you have this sense in Scripture of like, okay, moderation. Do not be drunk with wine is what the New Testament says. Okay, so drunk, that's out. And so for followers of Jesus, if you go, I'm a disciple of Jesus, you go, can I drink? Sure, I am free to do so. Um, but can I drink to excess? No, I can't. The Scripture clearly says that. No, you, you don't get drunk. And so maybe your neighbor can, but you can't. That's a limitation that you have on your life. It's a restriction on your freedom. There's other ones. When you, uh, followers of Jesus read the scripture, which means you have to read, right? It, it sounds weird to say, but people don't read a lot anymore. 
I see this uh, maybe extra with, with men that I come in contact with. Like, I can, I can talk to a lot of men who are like, yeah, I don't read books. I haven't read a book since college. Like, I just never read. It's not that we don't read, like, you're going to read Twitter or something that's, like, short, or you're going to read something for work. But to actually, like, dig into something long form, we don't do it a lot anymore. And so uh, I think that it's, it's, it's a non-negotiable for followers of Jesus. Like, you have to, you, if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to know what he said. So you're going to have to read it, audiobook it if you need to. You've got to get it in you somehow. You have to understand his words so that you can follow him. If you're, if you're following the guy, you've got to know what the guy said. And if you're going to live like he lived, you've got to know how he lived. Like, you've got you to you be on that track. But reading is another form of limitation. Because, honestly, anytime I sit down to read a book, I'm making a choice to not be free to do something else. I can't play video games. I can't do this thing around the house. Like, whatever. If I'm going to read, it's, it's, I'm doing this and not this. It's, it's, it's another form of limitation. I'm saying, for this time period, I'm going to not do these other things. So, reading's a limitation. Uh, the way we use alcohol is a limitation. The way we spend money for followers of Jesus is a limitation. It's a limitation. We generously, intentionally, sacrificially give money away. That, that, that's a call of God on our lives. And so when you say, Here, how, here's how much money I got, you don't think all of it is mine and I'm just going to do with it whatever I want. You think, first, I'm going to give to the Lord. I'm going to give away generously and, and sacrificially and intentionally. Which means, in a sense, you will make less money than someone who uh, who, who, who doesn't give their money away. And it's real. It, it, it cuts into the budget. If you're, if you're intentional and sacrificial about your giving, it will cut into your budget. The, in, our, in our family, when we give money away every month, uh, we give money to this church. There's a couple other things that we give to as well. And um, it, it, it's like the, one of the largest checks we write in a month is to, is to give money away that, that way. And there's loads of things I could do with that money if I didn't give it away. Uh, in our own family finances and all that kind of stuff. But we feel like it is a constraint that the Lord has put on us that we need to be generous people so that we don't get greedy and, and, and all that. So we intentionally give money away. We handle money differently. We handle relationships differently if we're a follower of Jesus. It's a, it is a limitation. It's a restriction. Um, I thought Topher did such a good job a couple weeks ago talking about singleness um, from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and, and, and pointing out that there are there are some limitations no matter what. If if you're going to um, if if you're single, there are some limitations that you have on life, and some of them that God has placed on you. And if you're married, there are limitations you're going to have there as well. Um, and and that's that's part of relationships, and that's part of following Christ. Um, I've got friends who who are in, in the dating scene, and they use dating apps, and they set up filters so that the the people that they could date through the dating apps are also Christians. That's a limitation that they willingly embrace and say, okay, I'm going to narrow the dating pool to people who share my faith. Uh, that's a limitation. It's a restriction. And I think it's wise. It's a wise thing to do to go, what am I doing? Who, how will I, uh, where am I going to attach my life for the, potentially for the rest of my life? Am I going to attach that to someone who shares my faith or not? Uh, it's, a, it's a good thing, but it is a restriction. When you are a follower of Jesus, you have more of those around your life than those people who do not follow Jesus. Um, following Jesus, honestly, means saying no to yourself a lot. And that's actually a good thing because, number three, when we embrace those limitations, we will see growth. Uh, author Tim Keller uses the, 
uses the phrase that I, that I really like. He calls them liberating restrictions. Liberating restrictions. It seems like an oxymoron. Like our, our country was founded on the opposite of that, right? It was like our country was founded on casting off restrictions and constraints. Don't tread on me, right, is the idea. I mean, we're celebrating this like today. You're, you're going to like go watch things blow up later and eat a bratwurst in celebration of getting rid of restrictions. The man was holding you down and we, we got rid of it, right? We, we, we celebrate that. I, I read someone this morning that said, everybody make sure that you leave uh, Budweiser and a rifle out in your house tonight for Kid Rock to come by, and then he will take it, and he will leave you some fireworks. Uh, I guess that's how we celebrate now. I don't know. Um, but, that, but, but, but the idea that under restriction, under constraint, we would actually have more freedom, that doesn't sound sort of right to us as, as Americans. Um, and most of my life, I have thought that unfettered freedom, I can do what I want whenever I want, is best. But it's, but it's not. There's actually a downside to it. And I have, over time, seen the value in embracing the restrictions, embracing the, the limitations. For example, if you want to go on vacation, you're going to have to save money. And if you're going to save money, you're going to have to not spend all your money, which means saying no to things now so that you can have something later. It's called living under a budget. That's a, re- a budget is a big-time restriction and limitation on your life that you willingly enter so that you can do something else later and have the freedom to do something else. There's something about a budget that isn't just constricting, it's actually liberating for, for you. Um, if you want to lose weight, no matter what diet plan or exercise regimen you get on or whatever you want to do, uh, to do that is a whole lot of no in your life. It is, I can't do that now, or I can't have this at this time, or I can't eat that at all, or whatever. But it is a, a, a constriction on you. But if you like hit your goal weight and do all, th- do all that stuff, there's a liberation that comes with that. My, my health is better when I go to the doctor. Like There's a lot of good things that come along with that once you live under the, con- the, the constraints of that. Um, almost all growth and maturity is going to come from restrictions and limitations. Um, if you're going to get an education, you're going to live under the constraints of the coursework and the plan and being at that school. If you're going to have financial freedom, you're going to live under the constraint and the restriction of a budget. If you're going to have freedom in your health, you're going to live under the constraint of diet or exercise. The same is true for our faith. It is the limitations that bring us growth. Tim Keller says that this way, I love this quote, this is gold, listen, he says this, in many areas of life, freedom is not so much the absence of restrictions as finding the right ones, the liberating restrictions. Those that fit with the reality of our nature in the world produce greater power and scope for our abilities and a deeper joy and fulfillment. Experimentation, risk, and making mistakes bring growth only if over time they show us our limits as well as our abilities. If we only grow intellectually, vocationally, and physically through judicious constraints, why would it not also be true for spiritual and moral growth? Instead of insisting, this is key, listen to this, instead of insisting on freedom to create spiritual reality, shouldn't we be seeking to discover it and disciplining ourselves to live according to it? 
I love that quote because I, I think it also shows the bankruptcy of the spiritual search of the modern world. We go, I'm going to find spirituality. I'm going to go find, and I'm going to, in a sense, create what is spiritual and true for me. And there's an emptiness to that. The real growth will come when you discover what is true, that, that has been revealed by God, and then you discipline yourself to live according to it. That is a re- liberating restriction. And it's true of, of, of health and finances and all that, and it's true of our faith as well. And if, if you feel like today that your faith has stalled and that spiritual growth has, it's not happening, um, it, the, the temptation then for, uh, for so many of us is to change it up and go, well, I just need a new church, I need a new small group, I need a new group of friends, I need a new Bible study, I need something. I, I don't know that it, it's to change all those things. Um, it might just be to get into the consistent discipline of doing the same thing over and over and actually sticking with it, maybe taking on some, some new restrictions and seeing the growth. This has been true of my own spiritual journey. I, I, I have grown from things that happen every now and then, like a, a mission trip or a conference or a seminar or I heard a great sermon and it really challenged me. Like I have grown from those things over the years. But I can also say that some of the growth in my life has come from just uh, the consistency of, of, of taking on some restrictions of maybe reading or praying or fasting, those things where I have to give up time or, or, or food or something, give those things up, live under those restrictions, and, and see what God does. If you do those things little by little over time, uh, there's a lot of growth that comes from this. Jesus models taking on restrictions, and he does it for our benefit. In fact, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says this. This is the way Paul describes it. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself uh, nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Jesus intentionally... Uh, makes himself a servant. He intentionally empties himself. He, he could have been chilling as God forever and he was fine. He didn't need to come to earth, right? It, it didn't have to take on the dust and the sweat and the smells and the struggle and the pain and the frustration that is living life on this planet. And he willingly takes that on. And, it, and the scripture goes on to say he becomes obedient to death on a cross. He dies for us. Jesus takes that stuff on. Jesus could have flexed, but he didn't. How many times could he have, in his earthly life, he could have played his God card, but he doesn't. In fact, it even gets questioned at one time. Uh, Peter tries to, Jesus is about to be arrested, and Peter tries to defend Jesus and pulls out his sword and is going to, like, attack the guards who are coming to arrest Jesus. And do you know what Jesus says to Peter at that time? He says, no, put away your sword. Like, my kingdom is not going to be like this. We're not going to be violent. But then, but then Jesus says, don't you think if I wanted to, I could call down like 12 legions of angels to strike all these people down? What a flex. Right? Jesus is like, you know, if I wanted to, I could do this. But he's willingly living under limitations, He's willingly not doing that, not going there and saying, I will live this way, I will draw a line here and not out here, because the scripture needs to be fulfilled, because I'm going to die for you. This, is, this was the, the purpose. 
Um, so we need to understand that. And Paul makes reference to this in 1 Corinthians 9, that he, that he is taking on limitations of not getting paid for his work. Um, and, and, and the challenge is for us to do the same, to take on limitations and, and see how we grow. Think how annoying it was for Paul to not get paid for what he did. He has to build a church, which is no small task. He has to help all these people come to know God and, and disciple them and walk with them. And then uh, Paul made tents, so he had to go make, do his tent-making work for hours and hours a day, spend hours and hours a day building this church, and then more tent-making work, that kind of thing. So he's working sort of doubly hard to, to help people know Jesus. And he thought that there was a great value in doing that, and he embraces it because it helped him spread the gospel, which is the last point I want to leave us with, is this. Leverage your limitations for the gospel. Don't just embrace them, but actually lean into them and and leverage whatever limitation you have for the sake of the gospel. Paul is focused on helping other people know Jesus. That's kind of his heartbeat. And it could have been a setback for him to not get paid for the work he'd he does because if he had been paid for it, then he could have just spent all his time doing it. Um, but, but instead, he, he leverages that to, to, to further the mission. All of us have limitations and constraints. Um, there are limitations to being single. There's limitations to being married. There's limitations when we are underemployed. There's limitations when we are super busy and overemployed. Uh, there's limitations when you have children. They're just a big limitation. Um, they're a blessing and all that. I'm supposed, to, I'm supposed to say that, right? Okay, yes, they're definitely awesome, but they're a limitation. You know what else is a limitation? Wanting to have children and not being able to. That's a, that's a limitation. That's that's not what you that's not what you wanted. Um, we all we all have these things, and and. and and no matter what yours is, all of us have the same limitations. We have a limited amount of time, a little, limited amount of money, and a limited amount of energy, right? So we all have to live under constraints, restrictions. We have different challenges. What might be a constraint for you isn't for me. What you might be amazing at is really difficult for me. Um, but, but what amazes me is how God uses people in spite of all those limitations. The, the best person to walk through a couple that's going through a miscarriage is a couple who's gone through a miscarriage because they can sit down and say, yeah, I, I feel that too, and this is how we walk through it. The best person to walk someone through a cancer diagnosis is someone who's been through cancer because they can say, yeah, I know what that's like when the doctor says that, and let me, let me walk through this with you. The best person to walk a couple through a troubled marriage is a couple that's gone through some stuff in their marriage and can say, yeah, we hated each other too. Here's how we came through on the other side and, and, and made it work. Um, the, best, the best person to walk someone through your parenting a, a, a teenager with, with a lot of challenges is someone who's parented a teenager with a lot of challenges. Like the Lord uses those things, those, those challenges, those difficulties, those limitations. The Lord uses those things if you let him to reach other people. And this is how you can leverage even the crummy stuff, even the hard stuff. You can leverage it for the gospel. You can leverage it to reach other people if you allow God to, to, to use it. Because you can go through the hard stuff and it just sit with you and you never do anything with it. Or you can go through it and allow God to use you to reach other people with it. That, that's powerful. This is how I think it works in the church. None of us sign up for restrictions or limitations and pain. 
yet all of us are going to have our turn with it. We will, um, I think by God's grace, we will all at some point in our lives come to the end of our rope. And I say it's because it's by God's grace that we do. It's because when we reach the end of our rope, that's the, the time for a lot of us because we're stubborn. It isn't until we reach the end of our rope that we will reach for God's rope and start clinging to him. And then, if we're paying attention um, and we're open, we can show others how to do the same. So let me just leave you these questions, and then we're done. Um, and, and, and let's take this challenge from Paul, who willingly um, embraced the limitations that he had. Number one, what limitations do you have? What is not working out right now the way you want it to? And what would it look like to embrace those limitations and allow the Lord to change you because of them? And how could you leverage those limitations to point other people towards God? Let's pray. God, not everything works out the way we want it to. And a lot of us um, have some long and painful stories to testify that that is true, that um, we're sitting here and life in the last year, five years, ten years, decades, has, has not landed where we thought it would. And God, um, it seems unfair, it seems like hands were dealt so unevenly, um, but some of us are living with a lot of limitations, some of us are living with maybe less, but we all have something. God, may we um, lean into that, embrace it, and see the liberation that can come from the restrictions. Um, and God, may we um, do the work of, of living according to your word, according to your teaching, so that we can be liberated and that we can grow. Because God, I believe you are for us, that you love us, that um, you are for our greatest joy and happiness. And so often we, in our freedom, try to grab at things that are not good for us because we think it will make us happy. So God, I, I pray you show that to us. You show us where true joy and happiness and um, contentment can come from. Um, thank you, God, for your son who um, ultimately, of his own free will, embraces the limitations of being here and, and embraces the limitations of dying for us. We celebrate him today. In Jesus' name, amen.